Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 45, and we're going to cover Numbers chapters 5 and 6. And I'm excited where we are. We've moved so far. Right now, we're looking at Israel about to go to the promised land. They're moving in the wilderness, and God is about to test them on everything that he's taught them. And it, it just feels so good where we are right now because we started off seeing the creation of the earth, seeing God create man and woman, seeing Satan attack them, seeing them fall, see God declare war, enmity between him and Satan and between his seed and Satan's seed and said that you will bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. And you've just, we've seen war all throughout scripture. We've seen that even in God flooding the earth and putting his bow in the cloud. We've seen God develop his men. And I feel like it was a long time ago, but days were simple back in Genesis when we could talk about people and how God was developing people. Now we're learning about the, the tabernacle and how he's going to dwell with the nation and him teaching the nation their purpose and their language and how to have his presence. And things are speeding up. And if we're not caught up where we should be, we're going to get lost in numbers and Deuteronomy, and especially when we start to get to First and Second Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, the nations are going to split. And now we got two nations that we got to keep up with. And so we got to stay lock and step with each other, tracking along together. So if any major development happens, we can talk about it and we can keep that thread going of the storyline of the Bible. Because remember, my goal is not to data dump on you. You can go on YouTube and find data dumps. You can find people who exergete books of the Bible and they can bore you to sleep. I'm not the bore you to sleep guy. I want to take this data. I want to bring the storyline of the Bible to life. And I want you to worship the living God because this word is living and active. And I want it to grow your faith. And so let's continue to do that. Let's look at the word of God from a 30,000 foot level. And let's grab what we need to grab from Numbers chapter five and six. So the biggest takeaways in Numbers chapter five, let's just read verse one. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both the male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. And so think about it now. We have about two to three million people. Moses is leading these people. They have organization. They have formation. Yahweh is in the middle. And that's so cool how they're moving through the wilderness as a military unit with the Levites in the middle and Yahweh in the center of that. And they're to break down the tabernacle when they travel. And we learned about the people who do that. You remember the Gershonites? The Morarites and the Kohathites, remember, if we're looking at a body, Gershon is responsible for the skin. Morari is responsible for the bone structure. And the Kohathites is responsible for, to say, the vital organs, if we're keeping the body analogy going. And so they are to break down the tent of meeting and set it up when they stop. And God is dwelling with them and they're moving forward. And all of the nations know that God is in the center and that he's central. One point I would like to make today that we should take away from this 
to worship God with is that God is central. Listen, I think it's a mistake to make God first in your life, to make him first place, because you make a categorical error when you do that. When you make him first in your life, you can move on to second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and you can leave God in first place and start working on your fifth place objective, and Yahweh doesn't come with you. I believe the best mindset is to make God center and central to your life. When he's central to your life, you don't move on from him at the first place. He comes with you to second. He comes with you to third and fourth and fifth because he's your motivation and that is true worship. And now God gets in every nook and cranny of your life. And it reminds me of Colossians 3 when it says, Christ who is our life. That's how we make him our life. We just don't make him first place of our life. We make him central. We make him everything. And we truly worship him in every sector of life. We learn that in, Le in Leviticus, the public and the private. And we're seeing here in chapter five that people are getting kicked out of the camp for not being holy. And we discussed these in Leviticus and it's reiterated. Lepers, remember we talked about lepers in Leviticus. Discharges, we talked about that. And they're to be put out when they're defiled. So they're marching in formation in the northeast direction. And you just see people constantly going in and out of this camp as they're marching forward. And you learn something about this camp, that this is a holy people. And they're doing something strange that no other foreign nation has seen before. They're circumcising their firstborn on the eighth day. They're moving with order. They have God with them. And he's the most high God because no other guy can compete with him. When he goes to war on other guys, they lose. And you learn it the best in Egypt because God took out a superpower. So quite naturally, all of the other small nations are going to tremble when they see Israel coming with this formation. This is scary stuff. So I want you to see this picture. Let me give you some scale. I live in Mississippi. Mississippi has about 3 million people. That's our population. So that's like the whole state of Mississippi, all 82 counties, I think it's 82 counties together in one spot. Like think of a convention and the whole state of Mississippi is there. Nobody's left that home. And Moses is leading that group of people. There's no place in Mississippi that could hold that amount of people. And so imagine that many people coming toward you. How would you feel if you were another nation? Let's put ourselves in this time period and how God has grown them, not only as an organized people, but he's setting up a nation with purpose and giving them a king. And people are going to start respecting Israel. They're going to move up the food chain rather quickly. By the time we finish with Joshua, they're going to be the top dogs, especially when you get to David. David takes it even further. Then Solomon takes it further than that. In fact, when we get to Solomon, this is the best that it gets. They're always trying to get back to that point. Remember, his name is Peace. And so quite naturally, people thought he was the Messiah. And we know that Solomon gives us a thousand reasons why he's not the Messiah. And, but let's get back to our text. So the things you want to hear is the organization, the putting out of the camp, and then verses 11 through the rest of chapter five is the adultery test. 
And so this didn't build on me again because I have to talk about something strange and weird. And he said he's playing this out. So let's pick on him when he comes back. So there's this adultery test here where if, if there's a question on whether adultery has been committed, there's this water giving to the alleged party to drink. Look at verse eight. Let's look at verse 18. Let's look at verse 17. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel, and he shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it in the water. The priest shall have the woman stand before the Lord and let the hair of the woman's head loose and place a grain offering on a memorial in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. Look at that. You see how now Leviticus 1 through 5, the grain offering is being used in this adultery test, and he calls it a grain offering of jealousy. We didn't learn that in Leviticus, but see what's happening here. It's a language within a language. And now that we have our building blocks, we can see how, okay, they're going to use the grain offering as an offering of jealousy and apply it in this way. And we can continue to stack upon our building blocks to better learn about these offerings. But it says in verse 19, the priest shall have her take an oath and shall say to the woman, if no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray into uncleanness, being under the authority of your husband, be immune to this water of bitterness that brings a curse. If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has had intercourse with you, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse, and the priest shall say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people by the Lord's making by the Lord making your thigh waste away and your abdomen swill. And this water that brings a curse shall go into your stomach and make your abdomen swill and your thigh waste away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And what's happening here, just like the Urim and Thummim, it, helped, it had supernatural abilities that helped the priest make decisions along with the ephod, which was needed. Now the priests get even more help with this special water, this supernatural water. And it's not, I don't want to go magical or psychological like some people have said. It's just supernatural. This is what happens when Yahweh is your king. He can, he's already dwelling with you in a pillar of cloud and fire. He's already raining down manna from heaven. He's already parted the sea. And so this God of the supernatural can bring along miracles to aid you while you do life. So this God is different from any other king as he has not only the natural at his disposal, he has the supernatural as well. And this is what would happen if they drank the water and they were guilty, their abdomen and their thigh would waste away and they would know that the woman was guilty. And obviously the, the point of contact is the abdomen is because that's where childbirth happens. Look at verse 28. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will then be free and conceive children. And so you see the point of origin is right around where the reproductive system is. And so that's God is hitting the woman right where it hurts because having a barren womb and not being able to have children is a point of shame in the culture of Israel. So remember, defilement and being put out the camp, God showing that he's holy, 
Remember the adultery test. And we move into chapter six and we get the law of the Nazarites. Let's read chapter six, verse one. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, a vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord, these are the things that a Nazarite must do. He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice or fresh or dry grapes. All of the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seed, even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. And so what's coming to your mind when you hear this Nazarite vow, he should let the locks of his hair grow long. Right, quite naturally, Samson comes to your mind and that's good because he's our first Nazarite. And in fact, he really shows us what a disobedient Nazarite looks like. God still uses him and in fact, it's most surprising He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. We'll see Samson in heaven one day as disobedient as he was. He had faith in God. But our first, our next Nazarite we get is a good Nazarite whose name is Samuel. And we start to see that God establishes a pattern that Nazarites anoint kings. Samuel anoints David. And so God is going to tie into that in the New Testament, we're going to get a new Nazarite come up by the name of John the Baptist, and he's going to anoint Jesus as king. And that's our clue to know that God is back talking again because he stopped speaking in Malachi. There's a 400-year period of silence. God starts talking again when his king is here. And the first person he brings on the scene is a Nazarite to anoint him. And we should know Oh, the true king is here. If we would have read numbers, we would have saw what was going on there. And so let's master numbers so it can be even that much more impactful when we're reading the New Testament scriptures. And then you see more offerings. Look at verse 16. The burnt offering. He shall offer a ram of sacrifice, a peace offering, together with the basket of unleavened cakes. The priest shall likewise offer grain offering and his drinks. And I'm excited to know that we have a foundation of the sacrificial system. So when all of these offerings are put together, they don't throw us off. And this chapter ends with a very famous passage. It's called Aaron's benediction. And most people refer to this as the Aaronic blessing. It's actually brought up again. And the psalmist used this in Psalm 67. This shows us that the priests were not just to facilitate the sacrificial system. The priests were the theologians of that day. They were the prophets of that day. They not only brought people to God, they brought God to the people. And this is a blessing that God teaches them to use. And in fact, I think this is a good ending point. This is the ironic blessing that I pray over you all in your studies to get to know Christ better, to worship him, to take him out of first place and make him central in your life, to make him everything. I pray that the Lord grants you success and you see that true success is not the American dream, but true success is worship.
becoming a worshiper, truly trusting in Christ, seeing that he's enough and that you need him more than what you think you need. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. That's my prayer for you, family. You all have a good rest of the day. Catch you next time.